the president is in the house today, people. I mean, this is really, it, it's not as glamorous as it sounds, is it, John? Are you on? Am I on? I um, honestly, Derwin, I'm really humbled by the responsibilities of president. I don't love the title. I, um, I'm much more known in my family as Papa John with my seven grandkids, so that's kind of the way I'd like to treat it. Okay, so but, can we call you Papa John as well? Because we uh, prefer that. Yeah, president it, feels a little formal it is to us. It is trademarked, but I've Papa taken John. it over, yeah. Yeah, I like it, I like it. <laughs> uh, You've been president for how long now? Well, it was sort of an unexpected turn, but about three and a half years. Yeah. And so, yeah, God is, God is providing, leading us, helping us come together again after the pandemic, friends, right? Just a challenge to come together and follow Jesus and be a witness to the world. Uh, now, some people are, are newer in our congregation, and sure. even some older folks uh, that have been around for a while don't maybe know a, as much about the MCC as... They could. Hmm. Um, tell, give us just a quick, like an idea of what is the EMCC about? What is uh, some of its ethos and characteristics? Sure. Um, the EMCC is really two denominations that have come together. I don't think we prefer the word denomination. I don't actually yeah. use that in my language that much. No. Uh, we just call ourselves an extended family of followers of Jesus. Actually, we'd even go further to say we're disciples who want to make more disciples. And so that's been our theme in our heart. And um, the kindest thing people say about us is that we're highly loving and relational to those around us. So we care about each other, but we care about our neighbors and our community. And so that would describe the majority of our churches is that we're, we're not, while we might at times get trapped being inward focused, we're really outward focused like you guys are. So that's what I see and observe going across the way. And lately, the Lord is convicting us to be people of character because uh, we got to walk the talk. Um, there's a lot of things that are going on out in our world that there, people are confused by, and you say you follow Jesus, but you're behaving like that. And so the call to, to holiness again of sorts, you know, that we might be like Jesus, not just for him, has been the call on the heart of our family of churches. And, I think there's about 115 of us across the country right now. Yeah. So I'm kind of the cousin from the East like you were one time. Right, right. True, true. Uh, I left Egypt and came to <laughs> the promised land. Fair enough. And yeah, fair maybe enough. you will someday. I mean, it's okay. Uh, I was there briefly. Yeah. In medicine yeah. hat. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Medicine Hat, in no one's, no one's idea, is the promised land. I just oh, want to okay. tell you that. Well, retirees uh, would say so. That's true. But yeah. That's true. John, um, which is your favorite church in the EMCC? In the <laughs> your, your very, very, very favorite. Come on. Uh, well. You're supposed to say, how could I choose from one of my children? That's, what you're, that's the answer. But, or Hillside. You have two choices on that. Two choices. Okay, next oh, question. Next question. Um, what's, uh, uh, we just, uh, I, I, I value you, and I know leadership is, is a challenging assignment for anybody. Sure. Anyone that serves in that role um, for you, what's, uh, would you say, what is some of the best parts of being a leader in the EMCC? And then maybe 
Uh, conversely, what is a challenge that we can maybe join you in praying you, for you? Well, Derwin, as you, you and I talked about how old you're getting, and I'm older than you, so <laughs> um, the greatest joys I continue to find is what I would call the spiritual father role. Um, this Papa John extends beyond my grandkids to pastors and uh, young, young adults who um, the Lord's calling me to just come walk alongside. And um, to me, that's been the greatest joy in, uh, in my leadership role. Um, our national team, we, have, we just have a great opportunity to demonstrate the love of Jesus amongst ourselves and then kind of spill it over to serve our congregation. So uh, the good parts are the joy parts. Um, recently, we were at a pastor's retreat in Stainer, Ontario, our Ontario Pastors and Spouses Retreat, and sure enough, the guest speaker was a spiritual director named Elena. And Elena was in my youth group. You know you're getting old when. <laughs> but I just felt in that moment as Elena ministered to us that I was experiencing what you would experience and we would experience in the church is that um, you become our joy. She became my joy in that moment, yeah. and that's why I'm here to see a life transformed wow. and then being used by him. It was yeah. such an awesome, tearful experience to be ministered to someone in youth group who I would have never guessed. Wow. You know? Do you know, uh, I, I, didn't, uh, I don't know if I've reminded you about this in a long time. My first time meeting you, I was at Stainer Camp uh, <laughs> as a kid who went to kids' camp uh, for a week, and it was the big deal going away when I was, I was seven years old, huh. and you were a junior leader there, and uh, you, were, you were probably about 13, four, 14 years old, 15 years old, whatever it was, whatever you are. You're seven years older than I am. I, I can't do the math uh, on the spot. Um, but uh, I saw you as that. It, it, of all the leaders I remember, you're the, actually the only person I remember that was a leader at that and, and loving on and pouring into others. And, and that's a calling and a gifting you have. It's wonderful. Bless you. Um, how can we pray for you? What's a, a challenge that's on your plate? Well, I think today we're continuing to figure out how to trust one another. And so, again, these days, I, as a leader, uh, just ask for his protection and the opportunity to, to trust one another to walk forward and to be obedient to Jesus. So I just keep saying, Lord Jesus, would you help cultivate trust amongst your leaders so that we wouldn't uh, figure out what's wrong or what we can be against, but we could walk together in unity. That's my prayer. Okay, okay. Can we pray for him? A significant role of leadership in our tribe. And uh, let's ask that God would... Um, continue to bless and use him. Father, we lift up John before you. Thank you for his life, his character, uh, his long obedience uh, to Jesus and walk with you that it was modeled even, I can remember, when, when I was just a kid. And uh, so, Jesus, uh, thank you for this season where he's giving leadership to our extended church family. Uh, Lord, we can imagine that, that some of the situations he finds himself in are, uh, he, he would feel like beyond him. And uh, just sense John, the Lord, saying that my grace is sufficient for you and will continue to be the rest of your days. Mm -hmm. So would you indeed carry my brother, uh, enable him to uh, carry this load freely, to yoke up with Jesus? Thank you. Uh, Lord, I pray, uh, continue to give him spiritual vitality. 
um, a, a renewed heart, uh, encouragement when he needs it, Father, and would you empower him to do what you've called him to do mm-hmm. in every way. Give him wisdom uh, as, as he leads our church in what are challenging days. There's no question. And so we pray. You. Uh, would you give him great wis- wisdom and, Father, uh, the, the capacity to be a trust builder in our church family, that uh, you called us to be one, help us be united around Christ, and uh, to attend to that, Father, we pray. We bless him now, even as he speaks and shares his heart with us, we pray these things. And all God's people said, amen. 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 Thank you, brother. Thank Thank you for coming. Well, I was glad to be a part of this uh, scheming that was going on. Each day I would get up and say, Lord, forgive me for deceiving Derwin. (laughs) I want to begin by honoring you, Derwin, and Angel and family for your faithful service here at Hillside. I knew Derwin before you guys knew Derwin. You know the grown-up version. (laughs) I knew the developing Derwin. And we're all still developing. We're all still submitting. We're all still learning. You quoted it in your prayer. It was Eugene Peterson who wrote that following Jesus is about a long obedience in the same direction. Well, today, I want to, we want to celebrate a long obedience in the same place, in the same congregation, in the same community. From my perspective and my observation, pastors who serve for the long haul are lion-hearted of sorts. They are passionate and committed to their calling, and they actually are compassionate and committed to their city where they're called or place where they're called. And I've also learned, Derwin, I think you would say, too, the best things in ministry come actually over time. So friends, stick with it. Stick with those that you're praying for and working with and walking alongside because the best things are yet to come. That's a promise as we're obedient and walk forward. Friends, um, these are notes for a message that the Lord instructed me not to speak this morning. Sometimes when you're a pastor, you need to preach, pray, or die at a moment's notice. Let's try and do that. But as we were worshiping together Uh, He just said, talk about fixing our eyes on Jesus once again, congregation, people of God. You know this phrase, you know this word, you know this command that comes from Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2, when when the command is to fix our eyes on Jesus. If there was ever a time in our world... (laughs) that the church and God's people need to do that, I think it's now. There is a lot of stuff distracting us and deflecting us, and as long as we'll turn our eyes on Jesus, I really believe that the things of this earth will grow strangely dim, and He'll lead us forward like we've never seen before. But we got to do better at fixing, fixing our eyes on Jesus. I remember as... uh, as this 14-year-old boy at my church, um, there was a man who owned a landscaping company, and he asked me at church if I'd like my first job. And so I got my first job with Mr. Shoe. 
And Mr. Shu ran this landscaping company, did residence, he did some businesses, and I showed up every Saturday morning. I was the young man on the young boy on the team, and my job was to do the push mowing. Oh, how I longed to be older and drive the riding tractor like all the big boys. But I had to work my way up as that apprentice, and I got to do the push work. I got to do the trim work around the buildings and around the trees, and I faithfully did that. And one day we were running late on uh, what we were doing, and we arrived at our Bible college. I'm, I live in Kitchener, Ontario, and we have a Bible college there, Emmanuel Bible College. It was a big property at that point, and near the dorms was this sort of medium-sized field, and Mr. Shu came over to this impressionable little guy who wanted to do really well for him and said, when you get the push work done, when the trim work is all done, go over to that field, and I want you to cut that field with the push mower, and I want the lines to be straight. I went over to that field after I got the work done, and with all of my desire to please my boss, I wanted to get those lines straight, but I had never cut a field this big. I thought about going around the outside and round and round and round and round, but that's what he, not what he asked. And so I got to the middle of that field, and, and I put the death grip on that mower. And I, I tried with all of my heart and might and concentration, looking down, and I walked that mower across, and I didn't look around. I just looked down, concentrating, trying to keep it straight to get to the other side. And when I got to the other end, I looked back, and uh, <laughs> it wasn't straight. Some of you are smiling at me. You've had this lesson, but I was, and I was young. And I felt like I had failed, and I didn't know what. Like, how am I going to? How am I going to cut this straight line? I tried as hard as I could to keep it straight. And sure enough, um, my boss came over and put his arm around me and said, John, let me show you how to cut a straight line. He said, see that post at the other end of this field? And I said, yep. He says, I want you to lock in on that post. I want you to push the mower towards that post. Don't take your eyes off the post. And I kept going, well, what if I hit something? What if something goes wrong? He said, don't worry about that. You just walk straight towards that post. And so I put the death grip on, and I fixed my eyes on the post, and I walked deliberately towards that post, not taking my eyes off of it. I got to the other end, and I looked back, and the line was amazingly straight. And I learned this lesson about life, too, that as you and I, as I wake up every morning and fix my eyes on Jesus, on His Word, His voice, His will, His way, His followers, those He puts in my life as I fix my eyes on Jesus. I kind of get through the end of my day and it's so much a lot more straighter and wonderful and purposeful than I could have ever seen or imagined. And now with these seven grandkids, I'm reminded that if Papa John could get a straight line of his day following Jesus, focused on him, then they could put their little mowers that they have with the bubbles that come out of them, and they could tie onto the side of my line. And if Papa's life is straight for Jesus, then my family's life can be straighter to following him. It's a call to all of us today 
to fix our eyes on Jesus again. It's the call to the church to fix our eyes on Jesus. And oh, how our church and our lives will be an example for others to begin to follow. Oh, not perfect. But when we lock in on Him, man, what He can do for us. If you know this verse, Hebrews 12, 2, it says, Fix your eyes on Jesus, who is our author and finisher of our life and faith. just want to focus in on this word author for a few moments and acknowledge today that, um, that I really want him to author the remaining chapters of my life, even in this role, Derwin, that I didn't really unexpectedly want, but here we are. I, I want him to author the remaining chapters of my life, and I believe that you stand after 25 years saying, and that's our heart too. And I have a confession, maybe it's yours too, quietly, that I have a tendency to take the pen out of the author's hands and oftentimes write my own chapters. And frankly, they start out really well. Just exactly the way I wanted them to be, but the longer I hold the pen, things just seem to not go the way I had originally intended. But each and every time when I make sure Jesus has the pen and I say, you author the remaining chapters of my life. He writes things I could never have written ever in my life, including being in this role. It's because he has the pen, and his sentences are so much more purposeful. His punctuation is so well-placed that I could never conceive all the amazing faith adventures me and my family have been through except for he's writing my story and I want it to be so. And I trust that you would say the same thing today. I was born Franklin Gilbert Stumpf. Do I look like a Frank to you? My birth mother had an affair with her boss at a downtown department store in Kitchener, and I was the end result of this affair. And my birth father apparently returned to his family, and my birth mother did an incredibly loving thing. She realized that she could not take care of this little boy, and so she gave me up for adoption. It's interesting when I think about how we all begin. I was too little, little Franklin, in an orphanage for a number of weeks, kind of wondering, well, what would this chapter look? What would little Franklin's life look like? But Jesus had the pen. You see, I was not a mistake or an accident. At our birth, Jesus has the pen of each of our lives and can take even unusual rejection circumstances and turn them into good in his own way, however he does it. And sure enough, while while I was waiting in an orphanage, when I was an orphan as such, uh, there were uh, a couple, Ernie and Marie Cressman. And they had tried for five years to have a child, and they couldn't seem to have a child, so they decided to put their name in for adoption. And as Jesus would have it, he aligned me with them, and essentially... Because he had the pen, he wrote me into a new family. 
And he gave me the name John Gordon Cressman. I was named after my two grandfathers, followers of Jesus. He wrote me into this family, the Cressman family. Man, they went to church every Sunday, all the time. And I was, I remember, I'm, I'm going to do this. I, I, I am a motion guy, but I remember going to Sunday school and all those little chairs got a little bigger as I got a little bigger that we would sit around the little tables together with flannel graphs. I'm that old, you know. And, and sure enough, I heard about Jesus and he was writing me this story of that Jesus loves me. And at age nine at the Stainer camp, I gave my heart to Jesus and I was adopted a second time. And again, God can take an orphan and place him into a family and into his family that I have now eternal life and an inheritance that I can't imagine, all because he has the plan. You are not an accident. You are not a mistake. Jesus can take any chapter and write something precious and new. And he did that for me. When I was uh, this 14-year-old boy, I'm glad he remembers that version of me because I was also pretty shy, though. Like you see, when you're adopted, you can go one of two ways. You can uh, rebel and seek attention because you're wrestling with rejection, or you can become the consummate people pleaser. And that was John. Oh, how I would long that you would like this sermon that I'm preaching today. Oh, how I would long that I could belong, because that's my journey. That's my mind wrestling through. And I remember as a 14-year-old boy, oftentimes it's not deliberately taking the pen out of his hands, but I remember essentially beginning to write this chapter in my life saying, I'm, God can't use me. God, God use somebody else. God, God uh, what value do I really have? What purpose do I have? I just like to be, step back, be quiet, stay out of the way, pick someone else. And I landed the youth group in my local church that I grew up in. I start going to youth group. I'm in grade nine. I'm a minor niner, we would call it. And sure enough, I arrive there shy, insecure. And Sherry is there, and she's a youth sponsor. And she sees something in me that Jesus sees in me, and that is purpose. And she says, John, I want you, why don't you let your name stand to become treasurer of the youth group? Again, back in prehistoric days when I was in youth group. But back in the days, in our church, we had like, a, like a elections for president, vice president, treasurer, and secretary. And I think it was about leadership development, Derwin, but it was a popularity contest. <laughs> but I just said to her, not me, choose somebody out. I can't, I, I can't, I can't, I can't, I can't. And um, I said, well, I'm running against Dave. He's the most popular kid in the youth group. I'll never win this thing, logically, either. Sherry just kept loving and encouraging and loving and encouraging and said, I see something in you that Jesus wants to use you. And so she wore me down, and I let my name stand and in a sense gave Jesus the pen of this little leadership journey as a 14-year-old shy guy, and I won by a landslide. 
and I don't know how I won. But Jesus had the pen, and I became treasurer to become vice president, to become president of a youth group, leader of what we called college and careers. I would later go on to become a pastor and uh, a regional minister like, do you know Lynn Dietz? Some of you would. Yeah, uh, a, a pastor of pastors, right? And now humbly here in this role that I currently serve. And it's all because Jesus had the pen of my leadership journey, and I could have never written this chapter. I didn't even want to write this chapter, but here I am because he had the pen. You know what this tells me? That potentially in this room is the next president of our denomination. Any one of us that would put our lives forward and say, Jesus, write that chapter... Who knows, because I would have never known except for he being the author and me trusting him that he can write my story better than I ever could. When I got through high school, I went to a community college and got a graphic arts degree. And I went, to, um, I went into a printing business and began to do that. But again, this was back in the days before computers did all this work for us. And I would sit at a drafting table with typesetting and exacto blade and rubber cement and do layouts. I kind of blame the rubber cement a bit for the way I'm now. You should have that job for a while. Some of you are going, I don't understand this job, but that's the way we used to do layout to get ready for printing presses and so on. You know, I worked there and I was successful. I was in my mid-twenties, and I thought I knew it all. And one day, the bosses came up to me, two older ladies who owned the business, and said, John, when, you, when we retire, we want to give you the business. Not that you'd buy it, we want to give you the business. And so here I am as a 25-year-old, just recently married, and it's like, well, this money's coming, and... God, I have a wonderful plan for my life, and I'm going to start writing the chapters, and I'm going to start writing my own checks. And when the dollars and success came into my journey, it's very easy to grab the pen out of the author's hands and write things. I want to do this. I plan to do this. I've got wonderful plans for this chapter and that thing and so on. I'm going to buy I bought my Camaro then. <laughs> that was a really poor purchase, but oh... <laughs> Oh, was it nice. I mean, but it was just me going, I want to buy a Camaro, and I bought it, and I paid for that over, and you know, some of you. Well, from my perspective, this is my journey. I was holding the pen, making my own plans with the success coming forward, but the longer I kept doing that, I'd sit at my drafting table every day and go, Lord, this does not feel very fulfilling. Is this all you have for my life? Uh, and I remember just feeling it's, can you believe someone saying this? All the money in the world might not make me happy. And then one day, to everybody's shock and awe, I quit and essentially gave Jesus the pen and said, I don't know what now what, but I, whatever you want. And I turned aside that offer, the, that that money, that success, and said, Jesus, write something. 
Ever been in a moment where you trusted him and you're going, the page is blank, write something. I went for the summer, not knowing what to do, had to provide for my wife and now new little daughter. So I went and worked on a farm, a dairy farm for the summer. Oh, friends, I'd never worked so hard in my entire life. Oh, my goodness. It was like early morning chores and then baling hay and chores in the evening. And, oh, I lost a lot of weight, never looked so good. But, man, I was tired. I was going, Lord, write something. Oh, the farmer said, you're doing a good job. Maybe you should take over the farm. I said, no, Lord, write something. (laughs) I'm working my way through the summer, faithfully working, because I've learned... In leadership, be faithful in the little, and God will exalt and trust you when it's the right time. Be faithful in little. One day at the end of chores, I'm shoveling manure into the gutter that slides it out. I'm shoveling manure, and I work with a farmhand, a younger-than-me guy who doesn't know Jesus. His mouth certainly didn't know Jesus, and he gets... He stands up from the cow he's working on and he yells across this barn to me, John, I don't know what the bleep, bleep, bleep you're doing here. You should be a pastor. And it was like the moment, (laughs) it was like my Balaam's donkey moment if you've been a part of the church. From the most unlikely source, Jesus tells us what he wants to write and he's starting to pick up the pen, and he says, John, go study to be a pastor, and so on. And our pastoral journey, I couldn't go into it. It's just like yours. It's just that you just can't write this as you're obedient on this pastoral journey all the way around to various um, places, even like Medicine Hat, you know, so. uh, Sorry, yeah. um, You're from Alberta, aren't you? Yeah. I don't, what do they think of that? Because when I go to Alberta from Ontario, never mind, we're getting off track. <laughs> the last thing I'll tell you about uh, the pen journey, the author journey for you as a church and you as individuals is um, sometimes when we get hurt, we can take the pen out of the author's hands because we just don't know what to do with our pain. I went on a search for my birth mother. Not all adoptees do. I have wonderful adopted parents. They were supportive. They knew I was loved and chosen. They did a wonderful job, but they supported me in saying, well, if you want to go search, we're with you. We love you. And I went on that search for my birth mother and discovered who she was after a long period of time. And it's amazing to get to the moment where you know who your birth mother is, but you don't want to reach out to her then. And so sure enough, I, I was too afraid to, so I contacted her, her brother, my uncle, who lived in Vancouver proper, and his name was Richard Stumpf. Well, back in the day when I was doing this search, um, I got a phone book. Do you know what a phone book is? There was only one Richard Stumpf in the Vancouver phone book. And so I reached out to him. And he didn't know anything about me. Now that's not uncommon when you're a child in the 60s 
that my birth mother was taken out of the region. That all happened away from family. And so he didn't know anything about me when I explained, well, this is why I think that your sister is my mother and explained all the family stuff. And he goes, sure sounds like our family, but I don't know. I said, Uncle Richard, would you mind asking her? I have no agenda just to tell her I'm fine. And I just wanted to thank her for doing the loving thing that she did. I waited and waited and waited to hear from Richard and months passed until I got a letter in the mail and it said R. Stumpf and the little return mail thing and I get the envelope in hand and my wife, she's going, open it, open it, open it. And she's all excited for the, here's an old reference, an Oprah thing. Oh man, let's go and see what this is all about. And I opened the letter and it was Richard saying, John, I've talked to my sister about you, and she denies you exist, that you have the wrong person. It sure sounds like our family, but I hope you find your birth mother. I, I held that letter and the pain of rejection far too long. And I know I had the pen in my hands, and I was writing, this, is, this, this stinks. Like, this is... This hurts, and just lots of bitter stuff happened when we're hurt. And I was a pastor at the time at Country Hills Church in Kitchener. I was an associate, so like Kevin, I got to preach once in a while, whenever the, yeah, never mind. <laughs> and I remember, I remember that Sunday morning, it was my turn to preach, and I got up into the pulpit, and I basically opened my Bible and got my notes out, and I began to speak, and I broke down in tears because I was convicted in that moment of what I was carrying, and God was dealing with me in front of the entire congregation. And so I remember leaving my notes in tears and coming down to an altar like this and turning around and kneeling down and giving him all of my hurt and all of my pain and the rejection again and saying, Jesus, here's the pen, you write this because I'm not doing a good job. And I gave him the pen and I remember very clearly that afterwards people came up and said, John, that was the best sermon ever preached in our church. It was short and emotional and we loved it. <laughs> but it's what we all need to do even if we come to church today. I left the pen and my adoption story in the Lord's hands, in Jesus' author's hands. Fast forward over 15 years later, we're pastoring in Pennsylvania, in York, Pennsylvania, where God called us to move and start a church. I get a call in my office, and this woman's name, she says, Hi, John, my name is Christine, and I've been searching for my birth mother, and I believe we share the same birth mother, different birth fathers. Would you like to meet? It's like, what? I, I'm not, how, what is going on? Christine, sure, where are you from? Well, I live in Nova Scotia. I said, well, I live in York, Pennsylvania. That's all, we'd like to come and visit, Ted and I. Okay, you can come on for a visit. When you come on the weekend, I'm a pastor, and I'll be in church on Sunday. She says to me, Ted and I have never been to church in our entire lives. 
isn't it something that I would go to my very first church where my half-brother is the preacher, she says. She doesn't know what she's really saying, but she's coming. <laughs> she comes. They drive all... I don't know how long that is, Derwin. That's a lot of driving. She drives all the way down to Pennsylvania, and she sits in, in this row kind of beside Lynn here, you know. And I'm sharing God's Word, and she weeps through the entire service. Because, friends, she thinks she's meeting her half-brother, but Jesus is writing a story, and she's meeting her heavenly Father in that moment. And friends, all I can say today is Jesus has got to have this pen to write our... You can trust Him. And um, from my perspective today, that's how I believe... Um, we're sitting even at these moments. Derwin and Angel, I think that's your heart. That again today, you I just know you well enough to know the pen's here. And you trust Him for the next chapter of your life. And if we'll all do that today, man, oh man, I can't wait to see what God would write. And even collectively as a congregation, you see, if if we would just collectively give him the pen of the hillside story, the next chapter he wants to write will be incredible as we trust him. But here's what I know about being in churches. Everybody else has a pen and a preference for what the church should do and be and all those things. But as we surrender as an entire community, the collective pen of Hillside Community Church today again He's going to write something in this next chapter that we could never, ever have imagined. Amen? Derwin and Angel, together we want to thank you for your faithful and sacrificial service to Jesus and to this congregation. So I want to invite you to come forward, if you would. I guess the boys can tag along. They seem to wherever I go with them. <laughs> They've been on this journey with you all the way, right? I, don't, I think we're going to pray with you. Maybe you should just drop down below so people could gather around. What do you think? Or is that out of the camera scene? You're, you're taller. You guys are way taller than me. Maybe Angel all should stand up here. Ah. Uh, 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 there you go. Let me say a few words. Um, but let's actually get, look, can we have some elders and uh, some of your elders and church staff and people gather around? I'm just going to slide in the background and allow you to come up behind. And Thanks, Lynn. And if there's anybody here, these are leaders, but if there's anybody here that has been significantly touched by their ministry. Maybe that's all of you wanting to come up. But I would want to open up to you if you feel a very strong spiritual bond to this couple that you would come forward to. Just please come. Just please come because they mean something. And I know we'll, we would almost all want to do that. But let's just do that together. And I invite the rest of the congregation to stand if you would and 
Derwin and Angel, again, we thank you for your service over these 25 years to Jesus and to this congregation. And together we commit to praying for you and caring for you. And so we recommission you for this next chapter with Jesus as the author. We understand you are submitted to the leadership and direction of Jesus, and therefore we commit to walking together with you as the Spirit leads. We pray for a renewing of your calling, a renewing of your strength, so that you will mount up with wings as eagles. We acknowledge that without Christ, we can do nothing but together with him, adopting his posture of humility and service, and working together in the Union Spirit, we have a future a promise and purpose on the other side of this 25th celebration. And we are careful and humble lest we fall. And you see, and you see the Lord move. Lord, would you just continue to speak to this couple? And as they move, we want to move with them. And so I charge you, Derwin, in your particular role as senior leader of this congregation, that you would know the complete anointing of His Spirit over your life and ministry. It would ripple down through Angel and the boys that they would know your care and leading in their lives. And we just want this day to be one of honor and blessing to the Lord Jesus Christ who orchestrated it all by His grand pen, And this I pray in Jesus' name. I'm going to invite an elder or two to lead out. God, in this moment, uh, we just give you thanks. We are uh, honored by your presence. And... uh, We're honored by how you've blessed us uh, through the ministry of uh, Derwin and Angel. And I I pray together with John that that you would reinvigorate this ministry here, Mm -hmm. that your spirit would be heavy on their family and on Derwin, that you would renew uh, them and renew him with fresh vision for the next years, the next 25 years, if that be your vision, Lord. God, we bless you in this moment, and we bless them in Jesus' name. Father God, I want to thank you for Derwin and Angel and the boys. They are a gift. They are a gift to this church. Mm. They're a gift to the family of the Evangelical Missionary Church of Canada. They're a gift to this community. And you give good gifts. I want to thank you for the good gift that you've given. I want to thank you for the way that you've filled them and guided them and directed them by the presence of your Holy Spirit. It's been a privilege to journey alongside of Derwin and his family and this congregation over the years. I want to thank you for the fingerprint that you have left on this community through them. I want to thank you for their faithfulness. And I too pray that um, uh, that what has yet to be written would come through by your wisdom, your grace, your mercy. I pray your empowerment would flow through this congregation 
and the leadership, including Derwin, flow through and transform this community for your glory, for your honor, and so that there would be a word from the Lord that comes to this place, this community, um, Tri-Cities, and beyond. Lord, I pray that you would guide and direct and lead and um, empower and fill by your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Amen.